First Samuel chapter 8. But the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said. We want a king over us. Then we will be like the other nations, with a king to lead us and to go out before us and fight our battles. When Samuel heard all that the Lord, the people said, he repeated it before the Lord. The Lord answered, listen to them and give them a king. Then Samuel said to the men of Israel, everyone go back to his town. There was a Benjamite, a man of standing, whose name was Kish, son of Abiel, the son of Zeror, the son of Becheroth, the son of Aphia of Benjamin. He had a son named Saul, an impressive young man without equal among the Israelites, a head taller than any of the others. For Samuel 16. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Psalm 139. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. 1 Corinthians 6. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Amari. Amari's in the middle of Hebrew, so you noticed how finally he walked through Zephor and all the uh, Hebrew words in there. That was nice, wasn't it? <laughs> the, real qu- the real test is if he can do it actually in, with the Hebrew characters. We'll find that out here in a little bit. Uh, we're in the middle of a sermon series on idolatry, uh, American idols, and uh, and we've gone through a bunch of them. I'm about, I don't even have to preach them all, and I'm worn out from them just because it's really kind of crushing when you see your entire pantheon of idolatry crushed every week, one after the other. Uh, and uh, this has been an especially tough one uh, for me this week, and uh, and I think it's going to be an especially tough one uh, if we let the Word of God kind of have us in this. Um, I almost don't need to do any introduction because I can just say what the top, the idol is. It's body image. Um, I was flipping through the channels yesterday, and uh, it's it's almost silly to be able to, to to say I found something on TV about body image that may be relevant. You know, uh, 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 Casey Johnson of Johnson and Johnson. I literally this is ten seconds. Uh, uh, who is the Casey Johnson? Is the daughter heir apparent? The the uh, you know the the Hilton sister-like uh, daughter of the Johnson & Johnson Company. Look the best you can at all times because you never know who you're going to run into. That's a mantra of our world. Look good. The swan, extreme makeover, it's almost silly to list, th- list these off. Uh, how do I look is actually one of my ones I really like to watch. How do I look? But how do I look is is central to 
the question and central to to what we do with the idol of body image. Um, how do I look is, is what we have going before us. How do I look? And the answer to that question is what gets 85% of our girls under 12 uh, uh, saying that they worry a lot about the way they look. It's what uh, has boys' low self-esteem associated with thinness or girls associated with fatness. It's what causes steroid use uh, to increase the way it has, not just in sports for better for performance, but to look good and to look big. And in high school, like I think it was three-fold increase in the last 15 years of steroids in, the high, in high school. Uh, I knew one person in high school that used steroids. I wonder what the number, if I went to high school now, some of you probably would uh, do, uh, would know what the number is now. Over three-quarters of female teens want to lose weight, many of whom are underweight. Eighty percent of North American women uh, diet for appearance and not for health. Seventy percent of women and 35 percent of men are dieting at any given time. I'm not sure these are the worst stats, if you will. There's, there's some other things to think through and look, look at. Um, we, I, I, just, I could pick any numbers of them, but what I want you to hear is that we bow the knee to the perfect image. We are serfs in the kingdom of body image, and we, uh, and we gladly yield to it. You've got to be thin. You've got to be thin and beautiful to be on reality TV. Unless you play a stock character like the big jolly black woman or the beer-bellied middle-aged white guy. And then it's still image in comparison to the beautiful people. They even name it that way in some shows that you see. Everything is bowing to this idolatry that is so powerful and so strong in our world. Image is everything. We were even talking, Amanda and I were talking about how the fact that you can't even, you can't, you can be a great songwriter, but you better look good if you're actually going to end up singing your songs. Bob Dylan? Not anymore, man. He wouldn't make it. Man can write and sing, but he's not going to tour. He'd have to sell his songs, you know? That's just the way it is. If you don't make up to People Magazine's list, you're not going to do it. But I want to tell you that before we go any further, that this is not an easy thing for me to talk about either. In the last 15 years, I have... Uh, weighed anywhere between 142 pounds to 252 pounds. Uh, the 142 is drastic weight cutting for wrestling in college, but 142 to 252 pounds and, and up and down that scale. Um, I'm somewhere in the middle now. We may get to that later. I don't know if I'm willing to do that yet. Uh, this will not be a victory sermon. I couldn't preach it. It will not how be a how to be thin, obviously, but it won't be how to be fat and happy. Those are two, um, the, the idolatry that this is is too serious, too profound, too pervasive, too strong to just give the fat and happy or here's the 10 steps to be thin. That is such a strong reality in our world. But I don't want to just, you know, rant on those things. I want us to turn to the scriptures because I really do believe the scripture passages we read today uh, uh, are central to how we can think about this, how we can see uh, what the Lord might do for us and has done for us uh, with respect to us bowing to this idolatry. Israel is asking the exact same question. Uh, you got a very short uh, part of this passage, um, uh, but there's a story behind it. Uh, in the ancient Near East... 
you are as good as your king. You are your king. If your king's good, you're good. If your king's bad, you're bad. And you have an identity with who that is, whoever your leader is. And in, in the ancient Near East, just like in the U.S., I mean, if you've ever been to another country and you, whoever's president at the time is actually how you're viewed. Love it or hate it, we're George Bushians and we were Clintonians before. Uh, love it or hate it, that's just the case. And so we're, you can feel it a little bit now, but it's even more in, in the case then. And the truth is, Israel was asking the question, how do I look? And they weren't happy. This is uh, uh, early on in church, in, in the history of, of, of the redemption of God's people, uh, the, they've come out of the promised land, or they've come into the promised land, they've come out of Egypt, uh, and they're going into this time called the time of the judges, which is really just a bad time. It's a bad time because there's like two, three good folk in the whole thing. And everybody else is just, just it's basically warlord central. Uh, and, uh, and at different times, a couple guys fight and do something wrong. And, and the, the theme of the entire book of, of, of Judges is everybody did what was right in their own eyes. That's literally how it starts and literally how it ends. That's what it is. And you've got people like, uh, 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 people, uh, the people of Israel are identifying with what will we, who are we going to be like? And their people are like the judge Jephthah who, uh, who was the son of a prostitute who in one of his warlord fights said, um, said, if, if, if God delivers from the Ammonites, whoever comes through the door next, I will slaughter as a sacrifice to him. His daughter walked through the door. And then he did it. A, a silly and foolish vow that he kept. Samson, you know, Samson, he's the big strong guy, right? You know, he's got it going on, right? He ends up with his eyes plucked out. Uh, his eyes plucked out, his beard shaven, and his, his great triumph is, is pushing the uh, posts of Dagon uh, uh, at Gaza and pushing them forward, uh, killing himself with one last bit of strength and killing others around him. That's about as good as it gets, uh, except for Deborah, who's rocking. She's great. Uh, and, uh, and she basically kicks everybody's tail, rightly, uh, and then mocks them because none of the guys would do it. Uh, uh, she does that. Nobody in the scripture does. They're too afraid of her, frankly. And, uh, uh, and, uh, but, it, but, um, but even the other city, they're just not liking what they look like. They're not liking it at all. And so they said, we'll fix it. We feel powerless. We feel ugly. We feel impotent. We feel like misfits. We feel like broken, scarred, and scared people. We feel like we don't belong. And politically speaking, what we're going to do is take some steroids and go to the gym. What we're going to do is fix this thing. And so they say, we want a king. You see in your passage there, we want a king over us. This is the second part of uh, verse 19. Then we will be like all the other nations with the king to lead us and to go before us uh, and fight our battles. We're going to have a king. This will work. We don't have to be suffering anymore. We don't have to uh, be the losers on the block. We can look good. We can uh, experience kind of uh, 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 our dignity in having a great king. But you must understand it's not just uh, uh, having a king. This is not about institution. This is not about a political choice. This is about image. Because the first person they put forward, the first person they call for is Saul. And read what Saul is in the first chap- in the first verse of the, the next chapter. It's, it's there connected with you. There was a Benjamite, a man stand, a man of standing. Okay, we already got the image, the, the, the proper place. Whose name was Kish, son of, who was Kish, son of Abiel, the son of Zeror, the son of Becherath, the son of Aphia, of Benjamin. 
he had a son named Saul, an impressive young man without equal among the Israelites, a head taller than any of the others. Look at us. How you like me now? We got us a king that's a head taller than everybody else. We are a head taller than everybody else. Image is everything. We finally got us a king and he's a good looking, statured, impressive king. We have him. He is ours. We are him. He is us. Here we go. We have a king. And their king is the image. You understand that? It's not just the King Saul who will find out is not a great king after all. But it's the image of the king. That's their actual idol. It's not Saul. It's the image of having it all together. It's the image of his actual stature. His bigness. The way he's shaped. The way he looks and presents is their God. You understand that, don't you? Do you see that how it, how it fits there? It's not really a political move per se. It's just embodied in a political reality. Now, you must understand what this, why this is such a big deal. Israel wasn't supposed to have a king. There was only one king of Israel, Yahweh himself. His whole point, Yahweh's whole point was to say, it's exactly true. The, a people identifies with their king. And so I am going to be their king. I'm the one that's going to take them out of Egypt. They're going to do silly stuff like blow trumpets around Jericho, and that's going to be their war. They're, they're, they're warring. They're, they're going to do silly stuff like, you know, hope that the sea splits so they can walk through it. I'm going to be their king. I'm going to be the one who actually defends and cares for them. So it's, it's an idolatrous rebellion. It's a crazy rebellion to move away from the king that they have. And you understand that that's exactly what happens what we do with body image. We go in and we say, that ideal will be our God. It will give us value. It will give us our reputation. It will give us our worth. If we can fit into those genes, then... I will have worth. Amanda and I watched Devil Wears Prada the other day, which is this very amazing debunking and reassuring of the body image myth at the same time. Uh, it's, it doesn't cut deep enough to make you absolutely horrified with it because there's a, it's an enchanting kind of a, a life to think about being a New York socialite and all these, uh, all these, um, uh, incredible, beautiful people around and, uh, the assistant, the other assistant to, I don't even remember her name, but, the, the mean lady, the devil. Um, uh, the the other assistant says, "I'm just one. Um, I'm just one stomach a, ba- a bug away from a zero. She's a two, and she's just one stomach bug away from a zero. It is her God. That is her God to which she bows. That she's willing to be sick for, wanting to be sick for. <clears throat> the Bible doesn't just tell us that we opt out for uh, this image, this body image idol." It tells us why we do. And it's a really interesting thing in the story how it works. Um, there are two passages that I look to that I think it's not just uh, that we have a body image idol, but that, uh, but why. I would say the first one's in that verse 20. Then we will be like all the other nations. And then the next one's kind of uh, toward the end. I've already read it. An impressive young man without equal among the Israelites, a head taller than any of the others. Some of you are just trying to be with respect to body image, anonymous. You just want to fit in and be like the other nations. And I do too. You just, you just don't want to be fat. You don't have to be skinny. You just don't want to be small chested. You don't have to be big. You just don't want, you just want to, uh, uh, just change my hips a little bit or my lips a little bit or my eyes or my thighs a little bit 
Just change it a little bit and I'll fit in. Then I won't have this monstrosity or this smallness or whatever it is. I just want to change. I just want anonymous. I just want to be like everybody else. I just want to fit in. And Israel declares this very clearly. They want to be like other nations. Wesley, John Wesley is a great theologian and pastor of our day, and I'm going to quote him, and so I'm going to use a word that I don't let Carver use, but uh, um, it says this, Be like, he makes a comment on this, What stupidity! It was their happiness that they were unlike all other nations, as in their glorious, as in all the other glorious privileges of being the people of God, so especially in this, that the Lord was their immediate king and lawgiver but they would want a king for their own. What stupidity that we would want one like that. But we want to have the anonymity. We want to be like everybody else. And so uh, it says, actually, that they would have a king and lawgiver other than the Lord. You understand the king of body image is also a lawgiver. There's lots of laws we must follow. There's lots of ways that we have to just do exactly that. But the amazing thing is that there's a paradox involved in this. It's not just anonymity, and I'm going to make up a word. It's spectacularity as well. It's not, it's, it, it, you can't just live in the anonymity. You have to move to the place of spectacular. That's why the King Saul has to be the one that's head and shoulders above the rest. That's a term that's literally taken from the King James Version. Head and shoulders above the rest. You've got to not just look normal, you have to look good. You've got to look the best. You, you can't live with just, um, just being a normal king or a good ruler. You cannot be mediocre. You have to be spectacular. And it's too tied to that power and that worth and that dignity and the value that's given to you. You have to be the, uh, the uh, epitome of whatever's going on there. And of course, the epitome changes. I was reading through body image, the history of body image, and they were showing models of what it looked like over the last, you know, every like 10 year pops, you know. And of course it changes all the time. You know, what's good looking and, and round and voluptuous one 15 year period is now horrible later. And what, you know, I mean, you know, it's a mess. And so it's a lawgiver and it's actually a dastardly lawgiver because it changes around all the time. You understand what happens. Hey, how y'all done? I'm sorry if I said something wrong. <clears throat> and here's what happens. You realize that the paradox is absolutely crazy. That, there, that you realize at some point when, it, when you both want to be hidden in an anonymity or uh, worshipped in spectacularity, that at some time it doesn't work. I'm good, man, if you're good. It's, it's fine. Oh, wait, hey, how you doing? That wasn't even you. <laughs> Thank you, very good. That was strong. <laughs> uh, uh, you see, you realize that it doesn't make any sense, that it's actually a lie. You, actually, you hope you realize that it's actually a lie. And that the, the, uh, that you have to, the fact that you're being drawn to just hike or squeeze or push or pull or cut or shave or, uh, tear your body in some way will never actually, if you, if you adopt the lawgiver, that lawgiver's, uh, methods, that it'll never ever be enough. It will never be enough. But the problem isn't there's this paradox of, 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 um, of the paradox of anonymity and spectacularity. The problem is that this God has a God, is a God of great power. It's not just the fact that uh, that it drives us into those places in this crazy paradox. It's a it's a God of power. It, it starts off weird here on uh, on chapter on verse 19 in chapter 8, which you're reading. I don't, let's let's read it together again. It says, "But the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, and then we want a king over us." What I haven't told you is what goes before this. At first, they're like, hey, we want a king. 
And Sammy goes, that's a really bad idea. Remember the whole part about God being your only king? Uh, and, uh, and, and he says, no, no, go ask God again anyway. So God says, tell them this. It's going to go really poorly for them if they have a king. And he goes back and he says this. He actually delineates what God tells them. It's right before this no. This is in 11 to 18 in, in chapter 8. He, this is Samuel, said this, uh, quoting, quoting Yahweh. These will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to be his horsemen and to run before his chariots. And he will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties and some to plow his ground and to reap his harvest and to make his implements of war and the equipment of his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and, and give them to his servants. He will take the tenth of your grain and your vineyards and give it to his officers and to his servants. He will take your male servants and female servants and the best of your young men and your donkeys and put them in his work. He will take the tenth of your flocks and he will, he will, he will, he shall, you shall be his slaves. And in that day you will cry out because of your king whom you have chosen for yourselves, but the Lord will not answer on that day. And they went, so what? We'll get a king. So what? Death or the image? Give me death. It sounds odd, but not that odd when you say gastro bypass surgery or fen-fen that killed 300 people, put 45,000 people uh, in, uh, with heart disease. It's not that different, is it? Not a, just a nip and a tuck? Give me death to that image, death for that image. Let me sacrifice myself to that image. I know it's going to hurt me. I know it's going to be horrible. But give it to me. I need that image. I need to bow to that. That power, it can have over me. Be damned I am. That will be fine. I couldn't... I'm, th- this is circling around the internet and it has a reference. And I, I want to be careful with this quotation because it's pretty difficult. It's a statistic. And I don't know the percentage of children who said this. Um, but it's all over the internet and from reputable sources uh, starting in um, on Ontario News. Canadian children in grade three and four say they'd rather lose a parent, get cancer, or live through nuclear war than be fat. There is such a commitment to this idol. Fitness Magazine asks American women if they would prefer, one, to live to 90, or two, lose 20 pounds permanently. 54% said lose 20 pounds permanently. I wonder if you just change the numbers a little. What if you did 25 pounds permanently? 54%. We would rather die serving the body, this image, than not. Now, I am not talking about health. (laughs) I'm not talking about health. And here's exactly why. Because the power of this um, is greater than just trying to be skinny. The power of this is actually what causes, in my mind, not just... uh, uh, the Kate Moss want to be look-alike, but also the Job of the Hut want to be look-alike. Because you either win or you lose. And you either fight with everything you have or you put up a big middle finger to it all and say, I'll just kill myself that way. The reason I've fluctuated at some 120 pounds is because when I'm dealing with this, I don't know if I want to run out and get a triple cheeseburger or if I want to run out and run five miles. 
I don't know which one to do. I don't know which one. The power of that idolatry, the power of, of me holding out to these images in the way I'm supposed to look, uh, is, is, is the power that, that makes me go insane because I don't know which one to do with. I do with. And I tell you, I promise you, that is exactly my story. I have gained 30, lost 30. I've gained, uh, I've, I, when I was at 146 pounds, I was less than 5% body fat. I've been all over the map. I've lost 35 pounds this year. I've gained 10 in the last month, and I don't know what to do with myself. I don't know if I should go run or if I should go eat. I know what I'm supposed to do, but I don't know which one. You see how the idolatry works. You know this somewhere deep inside. You who are fit and you who are unfit both know this because it it happens in all of us in all places all the time, and it doesn't matter what you look like. You experience it that way both ways. You don't know which one to be. I was reading through what eating disorders were and it had a list and it said refusal to eat, preoccupation with food, weight and dieting, denial of hunger, guilt and shame about eating and hiding, frequent binge eating, self-induced vomiting, frequent use of laxatives or diuretics, excessive exercise, avoiding of friends and family and perfectionism. I didn't want to go to my college reunion basically because I was overweight. Every single one of these I've done. Every single one. And my guess is that most of you have too. And so we need a new king. We need a new king. And God is gracious enough to provide us one. You see, he gave them their king for a while. But then he eventually said no. Just eight chapters later, he said, no, David will be my king. The second passage you're reading here, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. This is actually not even Saul there. He's actually rejecting somebody else they put forward as a possible king. They're looking for the rock star once again, even though the bad guy that Saul didn't work well for him. They're looking for the, for, for the good looking guy. And he says, and, and, and finally, instead of giving them over to sin, God graciously says, no, here is mine. Here's the one I'm, putting, uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get. And it's a lowly shepherd boy, and he's not impressive in any way. Well, actually, it does say he looks kind of nice, but ruddy complexion. But, uh, the Lord does not look at, but then he says this, the Lord's, yeah, ruddy is always nice, right? Uh, the Lord, the Lord, yeah, yeah, David had red hair, sure. Um, uh, the, the Lord does not look at the things, and Jesus had blonde hair and blue eyes. <laughs> <laughs> Image matters, y'all. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Basically, he's gracious enough to say, I will not even give you your king anymore, but I will replace you with my king. And my king will do different things and will live, you will live under, it's time for regime change, and my regime will be different. I want to read to you the new king of Israel's words from Psalm 139. This is a psalm of David. David, the new king. For you, God, created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days adorned for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. The regime change says this. You were fearfully 
and wonderfully and beautifully and intricately made by a God who took great care, even in your mother's womb, to, womb and has ordained every single one of your days and has said, you are my creation. The, 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 the number one uh, declaration of regime change that happens with respect to body image, the first one is to remember that you are created and that you are created with care. Wonderful works he calls you, fearfully and wonderfully made. And David says, I know that full well, despite all the loud voices that says Saul was better than me because he was a head taller. Besides all the people, my own son Absalom, who is better looking, who has got great hair. Literally in the scriptures it says he's just got great hair. He's got great hair. And uh, and everyone wants to follow him with a revolt against uh, against me. And he says, no, I'm fearfully, wonderfully made. And these days that I'm struggling through this image bearing are ordained for me in my life. Mothers, look at yourselves. Rub your hands across the stretch marks from where you bore life. Let your fingers run through the rivets of your beautiful elastic skin. Run your your hands around your bosom that's swollen now, you mothers-to-be and mothers who just had. You have created and sustained life. The day, these are the days that were ordained for you. These are the days that are cared for you. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. And your king knows this full well. And he tells us too. Men and women both, touch softly the scars, uh, the blemishes, the beautiful blemishes that life have brought you in this jagged-edged world that have cut you and made some of your skin darker and some of it lighter. Touch them, feel those. Know that you were created for this world. You were created to this world and that precisely is uh, part of his ordaining you. Young women, glory in your youthful bodies. But dream beautifully of your, of your, of your bodies that won't be uh, young anymore. Don't be okay. I mean, be okay with that. Don't hear the screaming uh, uh, goddess of, the, uh, of, of beauty image. Don't listen to her. Listen fully. Uh, listen and know fully well, as David says, that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. It is hard to hear among plastered on TV sets and billboards and signs and radios and everything that is around us. But I beg you, come back to these scriptures and know that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Parents and everybody, tell each other, forget parents and children, everybody tell each other how wonderful you all are. Find features that are not the predominant body image features that you can celebrate. Dig ears. Tell people that... that uh, their fingers look great for guitar playing. Don't tie it to sexuality or tie it to, to other things. Say you've got great legs. Celebrate great legs that aren't necessarily tied to a six foot three frame if you're, or it's, you know, six foot one three frame if you're a guy and a five eleven frame if you're a girl. Just celebrate all that is there. And then bag the whole body thing totally. And just compliment each other on character. And, 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 and don't associate uh, uh, someone's character with their body. Speak kindly to each other. I was reading a poem. It's, a little, it's not a great poem, but I love it. Uh, it's not a great poem poetically. It's a great sentiment. It's by Janet Morley, whom I don't know or anything. You know, just on this, just read it. Because it calls not just to the fact that we're created... And it's important to remember that we're created, but it calls back to remember that we need to be redeemed. Hear this. 
The bodies of grown-ups come with stretch marks and scars, faces that have been lived in, relaxed breasts and bellies, backs that give trouble, and, a well, and well-worn feet. I love this line. This is a good line. Flesh that is particular and obviously mortal. They also come with bruises on the heart, wounds they can't forget, and each of them a company of lovers in their souls who will not return and cannot be erased. And yet I think there is a flood of beauty beyond the smoothness of youth, and my heart aches for that grace of longing that flows through bodies no longer straining to be innocent, but yearning for redemption. Y'all, David was a really pretty good king. He was a really good king, actually. Till the end. <laughs> We're about middle. And then it kind of tanked. The whole adultery thing, womanizing, murder thing went, went, didn't go well for him. And he wrote those beautiful words, Holy Spirit inspired, that remind us that we're created, which is part of what regime change has been. But there's another reminder we need. Being created isn't good enough if we aren't also redeemed. There is actually another king, the son of David, who's the more important king. The one who, in his very body, took on all of our sin and brokenness. The one that longs for redemption. The the way we long for redemption is the way that Jews also long for the redemption after after King David had not been good enough. We all long for uh, the return of the rightful king. See, the rightful king is still not David. Remember, as I said from the beginning, who's the rightful king of Israel? Yahweh himself. So what does Yahweh eventually do? He sends himself. He sends his son. And he will reign over his people. So he graciously says, I will be your God and you will be my people. He comes in and he says, I am your king. I will be your God. I will pursue you. I will be the one who loves you and cares for you. I will be the one who ultimately will be your king and I will reign over you, not with the truth of the fact that I created you alone, but the fact that I'm redeeming you too. Look at the passage in 1 Corinthians 6, which is an amazing passage. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You're not your own. You are bought at a price and therefore God and therefore honor God with your body. God bought you with a price, the price of his body, brought you with his brokenness, the brokenness of his body, suffered, let his body suffer in order to restore our bodies. Do you understand that our bodies are actually objects of his redemption and affection? That he actually likes our flesh? that he actually is pursuing that. It's not just you and Jesus in this kind of emotional relationship, but he's actually located himself, redemption itself, in your body, that he actually lives in you and he's going to restore every cell that's rightly there. You understand that God's purpose is to actually have your body rightly uh, honoring to him. You are not your own anymore. Every every cell in you is, is his. The locale of redemption is also in your body. Great theologian Abraham Kuyper said that there's no square inch of the world, no square inch of the world, uh, of the world over which Jesus the King uh, doesn't say, this is mine. There is no cell, whether you got too many or too few, that's in your body that the Lord has not declared over it, this is mine. This is mine. It's worth it to me to pursue you. I am for you. 
And this is what makes sense of it. Because it's not true just that it's bad that this, this king came over us. But we are culpable. This, this bad king of, 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 uh, of, of, of uh, body image has come over us. But we are like Israel and have come to that and said, okay, we'll take it. We'll do it. We're culpable. We've sinned against our Lord. And what Jesus has said is, I will come and, and forgive your sin and restore you to myself. Jesus is the one that says, uh, because you were bought with a price, that you can stand rightly before me. I want you to think about what this means. This means that every extra cheeseburger you've eaten, every extra portion that you have, the Lord has come for that. Every sinfully skipped meal, the Lord has come for you there. Every time you hated your body, the Lord has come, your King has come for you there. Every time you stuck your finger down your throat after a binge, the Lord is for you there. Those who have chafed their throats and rotted their teeth because of the acid of their stomach, the Lord has come for you there. For those who have starved themselves until you can count your ribs, the Lord is for you there. For those who won't stop at one portion because they need and feel like they need the comfort of that, of that rain over the rain of the Lord, the Lord has come for you there. For all the times you've come, commented on someone's weight for the sake of popping up that idol image, uh, the Lord has come for that sin as well. For every time you have evaluated a person by their body or their skin or their weight or lack of weight, the Lord has come for you as well. For every time you have set a cruel standard of weight loss for your loved one or your spouse in order to be accepted by them, the Lord has come for you there. For you have hated beautiful people. For those of you who have hated ugly people, the Lord has come for you there. It is time for regime change change for you who'd rather die than live heavy and for you who'd rather live heavy than give up your comfort in food and in lack of exercise for those who would rather see a parent die before they would be fat and for those who would rather die of overeating than die thin this is what the lord has come for he has come to redeem those types of sin all of them and he said come to me Come to me, heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come to me, idolatrous beauty image idolaters. Come to me. I will bring regime change. You have been bought with a price, the Lord says. Bought with a price, an expensive price of his blood. And he says this. This is what he says about all this. To the answer to the question, how do I look? The Lord in his new regime change says, because of my son, you look good. You look good. Yeah, we're going to work on some stuff. Of course we're going to work on some stuff. But y'all look good. You look good and you're worth it to me. And you're objects of my affection. Every extra cell of you, every uh, little, too little cell of you. You look good. I counsel with a woman pretty regularly who has struggled with weight and body image. And uh, you don't know any, none of you know her, so don't do that. Um, and she said, when I die, I just want to die. I don't want to go to heaven. Because she found out that heaven is actually a physical place. And anything physical is associated with the God of body image. She's 70 pounds probably overweight, maybe. I don't know. Who knows nowadays with the way standards go? <laughs> you know, what's right? I don't know. Uh, but she probably is. She's unhealthily overweight. And she said, I don't want to do it. And I thought to myself, I finally had this moment of kind of feel like Holy Spirit inspired conversation. I said, oh, you actually don't think Jesus cares about your body. And she said, well, 
I think he cares that it looks good, uh, that it, that it uh, gets better. And I said, no, you're missing the point. He cares that it's over, he cares about the part of you that's overweight too. He deeply cares for it, died for that as well. Even if there's supposed to be less of you in the new heavens and the new earth, he ca- in the new earth, he cares for it now. And I remember her going, this can't be true. This cannot be true. That the, that, that the power of the gospel is not just uh, for me feeling right before the Lord, but He will make sense of everything that's about me, including my very flesh. And she, she, she looked at me still, I think, like I was crazy, that there's no way this can be. And I'm not sure she still gets it. I'm, not, I'm telling you, I don't. <laughs> but I do know this, that we have a different king. And the king reminds us of, of the beautifully and wonderfully made creation that you are. And reminds us of the redemption we have in Christ Jesus for all the ways in which we fail uh, or, or return to the, to, the, to the horrible body image idol that we serve. Jesus has come to do those very things. And I'm not sure how it gets better. Uh, we'll see. But I know that those are the two realities that only can make anything get better. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we need you. We don't even know how to think about this stuff. We don't know how to uh, how to think rightly, to do rightly, to uh, to to know what's healthy and not healthy. But you do, Lord, you do. And so we pray that you would have us, that you'd convince us of our uh, that we are created beautifully, and then you'd convince us of the redemption we have in you. We ask this in your name. Amen.